Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, a look at the week's big news. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un flew to meet Chinese President Xi Jinping for two days in the northeastern coastal city of Dalian in China's Liaoning province, where they voiced support for the easing of tensions and denuclearization of the Korean peninsula. In this second encounter between the two leaders in less than two months, Xi hosted a welcome banquet for Kim in the port city. Together they took a stroll and attended a luncheon, Xinhua reported. The meeting took place as tensions ease on the Korean peninsula following a series of recent diplomatic engagements, including Kim's historic summit with South Korean President Moon Jae-in last month. In March, Kim took a train journey to Beijing, his first known trip abroad since he assumed power in 2011. Meanwhile, Chinese Premier Li Keqiang called on Sino-Japanese relations to get back on track during his long-awaited official visit to Tokyo. Li's visit, where he met with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, was the first official trip to Japan by a Chinese premier in eight years. In addition to meeting Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, Li attended the trilateral talks between China, Japan, and South Korea. The trilateral talks, the first such meetings in over two years, are focused on the security situation on the Korean peninsula. Sun Zhengcai, once a rising political star in China, was sentenced to life in prison last week for bribery. Sun was accused of taking $27 million in bribes from 2002 to 2017 when he held several government posts, including Minister of Agriculture and Party Secretary of Chongqing Municipality, according to the Tianjin No. 1 Intermediate People's Court. Sun, 54, reportedly used his status in the government and the party to help two mistresses, including longtime lover Liu Fengzhou, secure lucrative deals often backed by the government, Caixin investigations found. Sun was a member of the Communist Party's key decision-making body, the Politburo, but was expelled from the party in September before being handed over to prosecutors. Speaking of falling down to earth... Wu Xiaohui, the one-time high-flying founder of Anbang Insurance Group, was sentenced to 18 years in prison for fundraising fraud and embezzlement at his financial empire. 
The court also confiscated 1.7 billion U.S. dollars of Wu's assets and said his political rights would be suspended for four years. The court found that between 2011 and 2017, Wu fabricated information in the financial reports of Anbang's property insurance subsidiary to illegally obtain regulatory approval to sell insurance products. It also found that he swindled retail investors out of 10 billion U.S. dollars, an amount that hasn't been paid back to Anbang property. And speaking of unwieldy financial giants, China's regulators are drafting rules to put the country's freewheeling financial conglomerates under stricter oversight in a bid to control risks created by the company's aggressive and often debt-fueled expansions. Caixin learned from sources close to the regulators that the central bank has been pushing forward pilot regulations on several major financial holding companies since December to test new rules that may be applied industry-wide later this year. Financial holding companies with sprawling businesses have mushroomed in China, as investors from different industries, from real estate to internet, have been keen to invest in the financial industry to tap the massive market. Anbang, for example, was taken over last month by the national insurance regulator because of improprieties. Caixin learned that the rules being drafted involve requirements on financial holding companies' capital adequacy ratios, transactions with affiliate companies, leverage ratio, corporate governance, and shareholder qualifications. China's film market surpassed North America in quarterly box office revenue for the first time, raking in 3 billion U.S. dollars from January to March. This was 42% higher than a $2.2 billion gross made by North American theaters during the same period. The increase was largely due to an historic February in which China smashed the worldwide monthly box office record for a single market, thanks to popular domestic blockbusters during the Lunar New Year holiday. The five top-grossing films during the first quarter were all domestic productions, led by action flick Operation Red Sea. In recent years, it has become the norm for only domestic movies to be released during the holiday. A Chinese short video platform was the most downloaded non-game app on Apple's App Store in the first quarter, edging out big international names. The app, known as Douyin in China and TikTok overseas, was downloaded 46 million times, beating bigger-name apps such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, WeChat, and WhatsApp, which were also in the top 10. Douyin belongs to ByteDance Technology, the company behind China's largest news aggregation platform, Jinri Toutiao, which came under government scrutiny recently for posting unauthorized content and was removed from app stores for three weeks. Shares of Lenovo dropped to their lowest price since 2009, after it was announced that on June 4th, the world's second-largest PC maker would again be dropped from Hong Kong's benchmark Hang Seng Index. Lenovo's forced exodus was expected. Since being added to the Hang Seng in 2013, its shares have fallen 56%, erasing $5.8 billion U.S. dollars in value. In the past, companies have experienced an average of a 48% fall in stock value after being removed from the index. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now to some of Caixin Global's reporters and editors for a closer look at some of the stories in the news this week. First up is Liu Xiao, reporter for Caixin Global. Good to talk to you again, Liu Xiao. A very interesting story you have. Uh, Given how much we hear about the problematic nature of debt in China, uh, and especially local government debt, and, you know, the very high debt-to-GDP ratio, 
Uh, it struck me as odd that now Beijing seems to be making more debt possible for local governments. What's the story here? Yeah, um, so they have, um, <laughs> or at least they've expanded the types of bonds that they can issue. So the government basically said they would allow local governments to issue fifteen and twenty-year bonds, and before this, they were mostly below ten years. So I think the idea is this.、Uh, I think it gets mentioned often. It's called sort of closing the back door and yet opening the front door. Again, the government trying to encourage local governments to fundraise through more regulated、uh, channels. Compared to some of the more risky options, such as local government fundraising vehicles,、um, and even recently, I think there's been a crackdown on、uh, public-private partnerships because people have been exploiting loopholes in those. So, what, what do you think is the motive for regulators here?、Uh, what's the advantage of these longer-term bonds over current financing options that are available to local governments? Yeah, so it really goes back to this idea of implicit guarantees, where、uh, basically investors think they're definitely going to get their money and also the interest they're earning on it back,、um, because the government's going to step in regardless. Through these bonds, it's much clearer what the investor is getting,、uh, whereas with a lot of these other ways that governments are fundraising through, which are a murkier investment. And finally, Liu Xiao,、uh, why now? What has prompted regulators to make this available now? Yeah. So first off, I think these longer-term instruments—they、uh, are more risky、uh, by nature than shorter-term ones,、um, and of course, they're more expensive because of that increased risk. Because you don't know what's going to happen during a longer period of time. So analysts that we spoke to basically said that this was a very natural progression,、um, and that China's market structure is more mature now to handle these sort of bonds. Of course, they're also better matched with the lifespan、um, and payback period for a lot of these projects. So, on the whole,、um, they're seen as a positive addition to the choices available to local governments to fundraise. Well, thanks for taking the time, and we will check back in with you. Great talking to you. All right, great to talk as well. Next up is Doug Young, managing editor at Caixin Global.、Uh, two telecoms-related stories you wanted to chat about, and、uh, the first one is about domestic smartphone sales declining substantially in Q1. What's going on there, Doug? Yeah, the smartphone news wasn't a huge shock because、uh, we've seen some signals coming out that this was on the way. But the news was IDC, which is sort of the big authority in terms of、uh, tracking this kind of stuff. Came out with their figures, and it turns out China's smartphone market contracted by a very big amount, by 16% in the first quarter. And for the first time, there are a bunch of milestones in this one.、Uh, it was the the, the worst quarterly drop ever. Of course, you know we're talking a market that's only probably six, seven, eight years old, but it was still the worst quarterly drop ever. Um, and then the other thing that was interesting was the number of smartphones that were sold during the quarter actually dropped below the hundred million dollar unit mark for the first time I think in like four or five years. So it was, it was definitely quite a bad quarter.、Um, and then you know the next logical question is going to be what what was going on here? I mean, how did it just drop? And honestly speaking, I haven't seen any really good explanation for why the sudden sort of Dive off a cliff because it was it was definitely going down before this, but why did it suddenly accelerate so much? The fact of the matter is, is China's just been sort of an overheated smartphone market for quite a while.、Uh, they they Chinese buy it's about a third of the world's smartphones. When you think about it, China doesn't make up a third of the world's population. They they have a lot of people, but a fifth or a sixth. So you know the Chinese are buying smartphones twice as quickly as your average Joe in the rest of the world. 
And basically what's happened is there's just been this explosion of all these little brands all over China, even ones that, that we think of as relatively common or unknown outside of China, like Oppo and Vivo uh, and even Xiaomi. There's just been this, this huge explosion and, and these companies are basically just trying to dump their phones left and right. Uh, they sell for very cheap, and and just finally the market is saying enough. You know we've had we've had too much. Uh, this is my second cell phone or my second smartphone that I bought in a year or something like that. You know, and consumers are starting to say we got to take a break, um, and I think that's sort of what's happening here. Okay, let's let's move on to the next story, which of course has been in the news quite a bit recently. That of course is ZTE. Yes, ZTE is like the never-ending story. Uh, they they were in a couple of headlines this week. The bigger one was where they sort of just very nonchalantly said in a stock exchange announcement, "Oh, by the way, we've ceased operations," <laughs> and, and they didn't. They, they said it just very blasely. But uh, anyhow, people picked up on it pretty quickly. But after they announced that, then uh, we sort of saw maybe one of the first dominoes in, in what could be a lot of similar announcements. We saw the Australian telco, uh, the Australian carrier Telstra, announced that basically they were going to stop carrying ZTE phones. ZTE is like one of these names that a lot of people in the West have never heard, but they're actually quite big in the U.S. and in Australia because they sell phones to carriers who then put their names on the phone. So if you have a Verizon brand phone in the US or a Telstra brand phone in Australia, there's a very good chance that phone was actually manufactured by ZTE. So what Telstra basically has said is we're going to stop carrying Telstra branded phones with ZTE. They're not saying there's anything wrong with these phones. They're just basically saying look, these guys have ceased operations. There's a good chance they might run out of phones pretty soon and we won't be able to keep supplying you. So I think they're trying to be slightly proactive and say, we're going to stop carrying these for now. But if and when ZTE starts producing again, I think they'll they'll start carrying them again. Uh, so, so when ZTE says they've ceased operations, what exactly do they mean? I mean, is this just temporary or is it actually going to be quite prolonged and possibly even fatal? I think ZTE is just being practical. I mean, they're a publicly traded company. They feel, you know, this is sort of a major development. They're, but they're they're basically saving their resources because they still owe a lot of suppliers, you know, and, and operating requires cash. It requires, you know, you got to pay employees. Uh, you know, by ceasing operations, you're sort of putting yourself in a little bit of a state of suspended animation for the day when hopefully, I guess we haven't really t- touched on this, but the whole reason that this is all happening is because the U.S. is cutting off all of ZTE's suppliers in the U.S. Uh, because ZTE illegally sold U.S. equipment to Iran back in the days when U.S. was trying to curb Iran's uh, nuclear program. So that's where this all comes to. Right now, ZTE is trying to negotiate a way out of this uh, punishment. And I think the ceasing of operations and then the subsequent Telstra move, you know, these are all temporary things, unless by some chance ZTE really can't resolve this. And in that case, (laughs) I guess there'll be one less uh, smartphone brand out in the market there. Well, thanks a lot, Doug. Okay. Thanks, Kaiser. And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. 
Special thanks to Lee Sin and Tanner Brown of Tyson Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wufei for the music. Check out the latest podcast in the Seneca Network, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China podcast, as well as our flagship current affairs show, Seneca. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SubChina. Sign up for a free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.